And so I'm going to challenge you. The next time that you use your money for something that is for the pleasures of sin, may the Holy Spirit convict you right there and then. Maybe a voice in your soul saying, don't do it. It will not honor you nor God. It's like that lady that was buying the lottery ticket. I was standing behind her in a corner store, and I said, don't do it. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher. Thank you for joining with us on the program, and we have a very full program today. We're looking at Proverbs 3, 10, 11. We have Alan McGill to sing for us, If I Were an Artist. What a wonderful voice this man has, and I just uh, thank the Lord for giving me the, the freedom to air Alan McGill singing, If I Were an Artist. And Proverbs 3, 10, 11. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. And that's going to be the message today on accepting the wisdom of God, even when he is correcting us. It's a wonderful thing to have a wise father. I'm thankful that when I was growing up as a boy, I had high regard for the wisdom of of my father. I was convinced, of course, that he knew best, and he was a true guide to me. And that's what fathers do. Our heavenly father, of course, is infinitely wise, infinitely able to guide, and so we take heed to him. And here in Proverbs chapter 3, we read, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. And these proverbs, these words of wisdom truly come to us from our heavenly Father, and we must learn to trust in him in every situation of life. Perhaps you are going through a difficult patch in your life, and it is a comfort and a reassurance to know that your heavenly Father doeth all things well. Stay tuned now for the message from the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale. Well, what do you know? I had two illustrations on people who suffered loss of home and property by fire. One was a young Bible student, candidate for the mission field, and he was attending an evening service when he returned home. He saw the smoke at a distance, and it turned out to be his own home, up in flames. And of another from uh, early pioneer days who built a home, got married, and his wife was expecting their first child and a fire just burned it to the ground, and he had to go back into the woods and start all over again. And then this morning, we're living with forest fires all over this province, and some, especially in Williams Lake that I'm aware of, are under tremendous threat of fire. Is it possible to be a Christian and lose your home? 
that God would allow such a terrible thing to happen and that you would spend so much energy and then suffer such great loss as just to lose everything? Well, the missionary we're going to look at tonight, Jonathan Goforth, when he was in China, uh, their first sort of semi-permanent home uh, was so tender, dry, and they lost everything, absolutely everything. Everything that precious memories, photographs that they had taken with them from Canada, just to keep a little bit of memory sake in their adopted home, missionary home, and it seemed God just took it all away. Why do such desperately hard things come upon God's own children? The next question is it, is it a judgment or is it chastisement? And those are two very different things. And those are the two things you need to sort out when you're in trouble. Is this a judgment upon me? Or is this the hand of a loving Heavenly Father who loves me so much that He has brought me into the school of holiness to teach me lessons that I could never otherwise learn, that I will be strengthened in faith and built up to be a Christian that I could never become unless I endure hardship. Now, we're coming to Proverbs 3, and we're looking at verses 11 and 12 today. Proverbs 3, 11, 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son, in whom he delighteth. Just a few weeks ago, we wrapped up the book of Hebrews, and we found that this section of Proverbs is planted right into the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And you have the Apostle Paul in the New Testament taking this uh, chastisement section of Proverbs and applying it to the situation in which the New Testament Hebrew converts found themselves. And it teaches us that this Word of God, even Old Testament wisdom or po poetical portions, are to be applied and benefited from in our day. And they can apply right to us. There is the danger of misinterpreting trials. People conclude all kinds of things whenever they get into serious trouble. Uh, some conclude, well, Christianity makes no difference. He's not a Christian. His house burned down. I am a Christian. My house burned down too. So what's the difference? Where is God controlling all things? Then the other conclusion is, well, God doesn't care. I pray, I read his word, I seek to live for his name, and when it comes to push and shove and the real hard struggles of life, God doesn't care. 
The other question that comes up, if God is all-loving and all-controlling, why does he allow these things to happen to his own children, who are redeemed by the blood of Christ at great expense? You think of the expense at which God has gone to redeem you as a believer and make you his child. He sent his son. He gave his everything. And by the death and agony, the blood of Jesus, you were redeemed. But in daily living in the practical throes of life, it makes no difference. Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, he feared another conclusion, and that is that people would end up bitter, hating God. And you'll notice how he deals with it here in verse 11. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. That's a horrible place to get to. To be a born-again Christian with a testimony of redemption in your life, and yet you carry a resentment, a resentment against how God is dealing with you. Then on down in verse, still verse 11, the other possibility is neither be weary of his correction. How old are you? Well, you never get out of God's school of correction. You know, when raising children, we get them to about 12. We think, well, you know, they should be mature enough now. And the teenage years come, and you know what happens. They're a man one day and a little boy the next day, or probably the same day. And there's still a lot of immaturity. And, well, we need to correct these things. And then when they get to 18, 20, well, surely by now maturity has come. And we discover that all can make really silly mistakes and let down their guard and bring shame and disgrace and hurt at that stage of life. And then we get to our 30s and midlife and we think, well, surely now we've We've come through so many corrections, we don't need any more. And we become weary. We become to the point where I don't want any more correction. I don't want my heavenly Father to do this to me. And we become like a sulking teenager. Do teenagers sulk? Well, when they don't get what they want, yes. When they don't get their way, yes. When something's taken away, yes. We have seen children do this. And Solomon's word of wisdom to a young man is, don't despise God's correction. And what he's saying here is that invariably you're going to be corrected. We're not infallible. We're not perfect. We do things that are wrong, and our thinking can be going askew, and we just think it's the greatest wisdom possible. 
But in the mind of God, that's going to hurt. That's going to bring tragedy. And so God intervenes and uses the correction. How important this is to God's people in every age. Parents know that children need correction. Church members need to know these things, too. You can't have a biblical, godly, gospel church that's living the light for Christ in a community where there is no standard of godliness. And this might be the test of the seed that falls on the stony ground versus the good ground. You know that story of the sower? The seed that fell on the stony ground, it bore fruit for a little bit. But when the sun baked the ground day after day after day, the roots shriveled up. It was nothing. And the Lord expounded that to the disciples who wanted to know what that parable meant, that this is they who are offended by godliness, offended at God's strict, narrow way to eternal life, and they choke. And I wonder, we all wonder when people despise God's correction and become weary of it, that they become like those sown on stony ground not a real Christian at all. They end up hating God. They end up burning their testimony and going back into the world, seeking those pleasures, casting off every restriction, and live prodigally. Now, the burden of these verses is reasons to accept God's chastisement. Having seen the fears and the realities of this troubling the hearts of God's people, what are the solid reasons why we then don't despise God's correction or become weary of it, but are truly thankful for it? Now, have you really thanked God for correction in your life? Really? Honestly? Did you do it with bated breath that no one ever heard you? Did you do it so imperceptibly that it's not really a, a big deal? It's just kind of a mute, mute resignation. I want to give you some real reasons here to resign to God's chastisement. Well, first of all, the character of our Heavenly Father. If you know God, if you know the Father, you will delight being a son, a daughter in the family of God. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. And verse 12, the middle says, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father. 
And this is one of the greatest revelations to the disciples when they asked the Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. And he said to them, start with this, our Father. That has to be the greatest privilege in all a person's vocabulary. To refer to the God of glory, the God of creation, as our Father. Now, God truly deserves that title. His character, he acts and he loves and he cares as a father. In fact, you know the how much more argument of the Bible. If your earthly fathers do this and do so much for their children, how much more shall your heavenly father? So, our Heavenly Father is, of course, good. He's too powerful to fail us, too just to be unfair to us, and too wise to make a mistake concerning us. You know, that's going to settle the whole deal. The goodness of our God as our Father. And on that day when He corrects when we recognize that it is the hand of our loving Father, it takes the sting away. And we end up praising the hand of the one who corrects us. Because what is the motive of a loving Father when he corrects us? It is not, of course, to do us harm. It is not, of course, to create misery, but to deliver us from future misery to steer us away from the course that would lead us to disaster and to ruin. And therefore, to refuse that correction is to really deny that God is a good Father who really wants the best for us. And we deny that He's great, that He's good, that He's gracious, that He's just, that He's unchangeable, that he's always wise and always in control. And I think that's really the heart of the issue. Is God really in control? Let me take you to a text here, Isaiah 45 and verse 7. Uh, chapter 45 in Isaiah and the verse 7. Here is a chapter and here's a passage that really sets out God's workings in all things. He is revealing himself to his people um, because his people were tempted to go to idolatry and worship other gods. And in the book of Isaiah, in this passage in particular, he is countering the Strain loyalty of his people Israel. And he's saying, I am the Lord, Jehovah. You, have, you see large uppercase English letters, L-O-R-D. That is, I am Jehovah, the covenant-keeping, self-existing, unchangeable God. And there is none else. There's none else. He is 
in control. There's no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. That they may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do these things. Do you have a problem with that verse? The evil there, by the way, is not moral evil. It is calamity. I create evil. I do the hard things that fall upon people, like when your house burns down, like when you're a missionary on the field and you lose everything. I create evil. God brings the good things into our lives, but he also at times brings calamity, correction, discipline, and God takes responsibility. God's not dodging. He's not trying to say, well, just I want you to think of me as a good, big, loving, always compliant God. No, you've got to realize that I am so in control that even the calamities and the tough things come directly from my hand. And therefore, it is God's hand of correction that is at work. And what he is asking us then to do as his children and as our Father is to trust him. Trust him in the good times, but also trust him in the difficulties. Joseph's words come into play late in his life's experience after being sold down into Egypt by his wicked brothers. And when they eventually came down to buy corn in Egypt and Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, uh, the testimony was, as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it for good. God meant it for good. To bring to pass, as at this day, to save much people alive. Joseph was a missionary. And Joseph was raised up by God after his affliction to be a deliverer to his, even his own wicked brothers. And, of course, if you had asked Joseph when he was in the prison for two years, what is God doing, Joseph? What's God doing? Couldn't have told you. Couldn't have told you. And you will find in your Christian life that when you have that day of calamity in your life, and you ask the question, what is God doing? There may be no answers coming. But what we must fall back upon is the character of our loving Heavenly Father. And it will require faith, conviction, that God is too good to do wrong, too wise to make mistake, and too powerful to be out of control. 
my heart is stirred whenever I think of Jesus, that blessed name which sets the captive free. The only name through which I find salvation. No name on earth has meant so much to me. I've learned to know a name I highly treasure. Oh, how it thrills my spirit through and through. Oh, precious name, beyond degree or measure. Oh, wondrous name of him so kind and true. My heart is stirred whenever I think of Jesus, that blessed name which sets the captive free. The only name through which I find salvation, no name on earth has meant so much to me. That name brings gladness to a soul in sorrow. It makes life shadows and its clouds depart. Brings strength in weakness for today, tomorrow. That name brings healing to an aching heart. My heart is stirred whenever I think of Jesus, that blessed name. Which sets the captive free. The only name through which I find salvation. No name on earth has meant so much to me. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.